Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. One of the most common movie tropes is the fake ending. We've all watched a movie and thought the movie was over, at least when you're young and watching movies, and you don't know that usually there's a fake ending in an action movie. Usually there's a fake ending in a horror movie. Usually there's a fake ending in a mystery movie where you think the movie's over for a moment and then you find out, oh, that wasn't really the killer. Oh, that's not really the danger. And there's a twist in the end to show that there's a, an enemy behind the enemy, that there is another danger that the heroes did not realize was coming. Now, when you're reading a book, which is where this fake ending idea came from, there's a lot of fake endings in books, but when you're reading a book and you know you still got 30 pages left, you know that you're not quite at the end. Sometimes when you're watching a movie, and I've done this before, I've paused to see how much longer there was in the movie and realized, oh, I'm not, I'm not as close to the end as I thought. There's a lot more coming. There must be a twist. There must be some kind of fake ending coming. I don't see a lot of gamers out there, but I'm still a gamer. I was playing a game uh, just a few months ago, and I thought I was near the end of the game, and then all of a sudden... I hit a story arc, and there was a whole third of the map that I hadn't even seen. I was only two-thirds of the way through the game. I thought, my word, I thought I was near the end. I got a lot more to go before I get to the end of this story. I, I share that with you because in the game of life, which is no game, Satan is not the final boss. Satan is not the ultimate enemy. Satan is not... The last enemy to be defeated. There is an enemy after Satan who will be defeated. Paul talks about this enemy in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when in verse 26 he tells us the last enemy to be destroyed, and he will be destroyed. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the final enemy, he is the boss after the boss at the end of the game. And we have this incredible promise in Scripture that if we know Jesus Christ, the end has already been written. The enemy has already been defeated. Oh, we don't experience his defeat yet, but his defeat is already sealed. Now, as as I was praying about what to preach on uh, tonight and uh, next Sunday night, we're going to have a little bit of a break um, in a few weeks. Uh, uh, Colton Furlow is going to be here, uh, who is uh, one of ours, as I said this morning, but also working now with CPAC, and he's going to be here on the 30th evening service of the 30th to talk to us 
about the uh, murder mill, the abortion clinic that's coming to Rawlings, and um, some of the things that, that we can do uh, in response, in, in preparation, and to oppose that. Uh, of course, I, as I told you this morning, I'm just praying that God strikes the building with lightning and, and takes care of the problem for us. But um, we're going to have him in a few weeks, and, and uh, we have uh, uh, some other uh, special guests that will be coming. And so before we dive in to a new book study for the summer, I thought we would take a few weeks and talk about something else, something more topical. And as I was preparing for this morning's message, where we talked about the bottomless pit, and we'll be talking more about what is in the bottomless pit, Lord willing, next Sunday... I felt the Holy Spirit pointing me to a place that a lot of times we don't like to go, and that is the subject of death. And we're going to talk tonight, and Lord willing, next Sunday night about death. Our church and many churches the last few years have been profoundly touched by death, and it's very important because all of us are mortal and all of us, we hope to be, if you're in Christ, you hope to be part of that rapture generation. But even if the rapture comes tomorrow, there's no guarantee you'll make it to tomorrow before you experience death. None of us have tomorrow promised to us. And so I will remind you, in the context of uh, a question about death and a question about eternity, Jesus was, uh, by these uh, uh, Sadducees, was tried to, they tried to catch Jesus in a snare and put him on the spot and ask him a, a question about what happens after death. And Jesus' first response to them before he dismantled their uh, profound, they thought, argument or, or trap, before he dismantled that trap, he made this statement to them. He said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, uh, you do err. Excuse me, verily, verily. That's the next verse. I'm getting ahead of myself. He said in Matthew 22, 29, you do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. I, I'm, I'm fearful that many Christians don't really know the scriptures. And if you don't know the scriptures, you're not experiencing the power of God. You're not experiencing the promises of God that you could be claiming. You're not experiencing the hope that you could be standing in. And so while some of this may be very familiar to us tonight, it is important that we stop and think about and remind ourselves about some very important truths about death. Jesus made this incredible promise, and here we get to the verily, verily, John 8, 51. He said, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. C.S. Lewis said this is one of the most problematic verses in Scripture. It's one of the most, I think, I don't think the word he used was maybe embarrassing verses. How do you, how do you answer this? And um, as much as I like C.S. Lewis as, an, as a philosopher and as a Christian apologist, he wasn't always the greatest theologian. Um, tremendous author, not always the greatest theologian. What was Jesus saying? What did Jesus mean when he said that those who believe in him, who 
trust in him, we'll never see death. We have funerals all the time. I was at a funeral just yesterday for Scott's mom. Christians die all the time. So what does that promise really mean? We err if we don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And so we're going to come back and answer that question tonight. In fact, we're going to answer three major questions tonight. But before we dive into those questions and the answers to those questions, let me just take a moment and explain to you why we're focusing on death tonight. And again, Lord willing, next week. Why focus on death? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, the oldest song in the Bible, the oldest psalm in the Bible is Psalm 90. And it was written by Moses. Now, maybe um, uh, I, say, I should say one of the oldest songs because we don't know which song Moses wrote first, the song of Moses or, or you know, if, the, if he wrote this before Miriam wrote her song. But one of the oldest songs in the Bible is Psalm 90. And in verse 12 of Psalm 90, Moses says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I, I heard of a man who... Uh, Figured if we have, um, Psalm 90 says, most people will, will live between 70 and 80 years. 70 years is, is, is normal. If by strength, if you're healthy, you should at least make it to 80. Most people, uh, after 80, you may make it to 90, you may make it to 100. But what I've seen, at least in my grandparents' lives and in the lives of many others, is that the quality of life begins to drop uh, at first, maybe slowly, but it, it begins to drop every year after you turn to 80 and more and more problems begin to creep up. We are given, generally speaking, 70 to 80 years. And so this man figured, okay, if I'm going to live to be 80, how many more days is that? And so he got, uh, I think they were M&Ms. He, he filled up a, a big jar with M&Ms or maybe they were marbles. I don't remember exactly. But every day, every morning, he would pull one out. And he thought, I'm just going to, I want that reminder. I want that reminder that, that I'm mortal, that I'm going to stand before the Lord. Moses said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so the first reason that we talk about death is to rightly number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived apart from Christ himself, said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, it's better to go to a funeral than to a birthday party. Better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. He's like, not, not, not any funeral I've ever been to. No, here's why. He said, because death is the end of all men. And if you're wise, you'll consider that. If you're wise, you'll take that reminder. If you're wise, you'll take that opportunity. And, and funerals aren't something you'll try to get out of or try to skip that you will try to maybe postpone your own funeral. But, but we try to uh, look for reasons not to go. But it's important that we do be part of those events because they are reminders of our own mortality and of the day when we will stand before Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 assures us that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. So we do it to rightly number our days. Number two, we do it to grow in our fear of the Lord. If we're going to gain a heart of wisdom, Job said it, David repeated it. Solomon said it several times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, don't fear people who can just kill your body. 
be afraid, have, have a reverential fear of the one who can send your soul and your body to Gehenna, to the eternal hell, to the lake of fire, the second death, the outer darkness. That's who we need to be in fear of. That's why you need a Savior. Amen. That's why you need someone who's going to stand before the throne as the high priest. And whenever the devil brings accusation against us, our advocate, Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, no, no, I paid for that sin. Paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. When we think about death, it should grow our fear of the Lord. It should also give us a passion and, and increase our passion for two things, evangelism and discipleship. Because death is the end of all men. Those of us who are saved, we should be preparing to meet Jesus Christ. Every day between now and that day should be lived in preparation for the day when I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. And as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the, ver the verb tense is such that it means it could happen at any moment. Paul says, you need to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, to show thyself, to present thyself to God. Again, the verb tense indicates that could happen at any moment, Timothy. That could happen at any moment, Memorial Heights. That could happen at any moment, DJ, that we could be called upon to stand before Jesus Christ as his children, as his servants, and present as his workmen our lives of service for him. We will not be judged in a judgment of wrath. We will not be judged to determine whether we get into heaven or not. We will already be there, but we will be judged to determine 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what rewards we receive. And so thinking about death and thinking about that moment where we'll stand before Jesus Christ should motivate us in our discipleship, but friend, it should also motivate us in evangelism. Because if someone dies without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for them left. Hope dies with them. And so we cannot make that decision for anyone. I can't make that decision for my son. He's already made that decision on his own, praise the Lord. I can't make that decision for my wife. She's already made that decision uh, on her own, praise the Lord. I can't make that decision for you. But I'm not responsible to make the decision. I'm responsible to provide you with the decision, to tell you about the decision. By the way, I forgot to mention this. Um, we had uh, two uh, professions of faith this morning at the mission. Uh, so thankful for uh, all of you who are involved at the mission. Uh, Ron presented the message down, presented the gospel as he so faithfully does. And I'm so thankful for all of you who are involved in that ministry. And two more professions of faith this morning, two more saved uh, from the flames of hell by the grace of our Lord uh, and what Jesus Christ has done. And we receive his grace through faith. So talking about death should motivate us. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that, that knowing the fear of the Lord, we should want to persuade men. And we should plead with them as Paul does. Now is the day of salvation. We are now ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. That's why we're still here, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, to be salt, to be light, 
to share the hope with a lost and dying world. And lastly, let me just say, we do this to understand some foundational truths, some foundational truths. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews talks a lot about death and the hope that we have over death, by the way. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 He says, I wanted to talk to you about some other things. I wanted to talk to you about Melchizedek, but we have many things to say. But the problem is, he says in verse 11 of Hebrews 5, is that they're hard to utter and you're dull of understanding, you're dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. These are the foundational things. Uh, And uh, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal life. And this we will do if God permit. Paul says, these are the basics. These are the things that we should all be competent in to teach. Now, I say Paul. I don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other story for a whole other time. Sometimes you just say Paul because Paul wrote so much in the New Testament. It's sort of default to say Paul. The writer of Hebrews, uh, whoever that, that was, <coughs> Luke, <coughs> I think it was probably Luke. But I, that, again, that's another message for another time. We don't know. God, God is the author. That's what we know. But he's writing to, get, get this, he's writing to Hebrews, okay? That's why it's called Hebrews. He's writing to Jewish people who all their life have been trained in the scriptures. And he's saying, you guys have grown up on the old covenant. You guys have grown up on the scriptures. You guys have been memorizing scripture since you were a kid. It's part of your educational system as a young Jewish boy. It's part of your educational system. You ought to be teachers, now, some of you, maybe you're young in the faith in terms of, of age, and you haven't been saved for very long. And so you have a, a reason to not be skillful in the use of the Word of God. But if you've been saved for 10, 20, 30, I've been saved now for 40 plus years, we have no excuse. We ought to be teachers. We ought to be able to teach our kids, teach our grandkids these things. You're not going to be able to teach if you're not spending time in God's Word. And one of the very foundational truths that uh, the writer speaks about here in chapter 6 is the resurrection of the dead. So let's ask and answer some, just three questions tonight. Just three questions. That's preacher talk because we're going to dive a little deeper into uh, these questions, especially when we get to the third one. But let let me begin by asking the uncomfortable question, number one, why do we die? Why do we die? I know there are some people who teach that um, you're not a sinner until you sin, that you're not born in sin. That's incorrect. Because if you weren't born into sin, you wouldn't be able to die. But children die every day. They're killed, they're murdered, they're slaughtered. Sometimes accidents happen, they die in the womb. How do we know that they are with the Lord? We'll come to that. 
but why do we die? That's what we need to answer first. Genesis 2 tells us it's because it's a consequence of sin. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. And because of that, whereas by Romans 5 says, whereas by one man sin entered the world, and death came with sin. That's why, that's why Paul says death passed upon all men for all of sin. We're all born with the sin nature. I mean, I don't know how anybody who has ever had a child could think that kids are not born with a sin nature. I don't know how you could possibly comprehend or think that. We learn to lie without being taught. I did not teach my son to lie. Gigi taught. No, no, no. Gigi didn't have to teach him either. Nobody taught him to lie. I didn't teach my... I taught myself to lie. I didn't teach my son to lie. I didn't have to. My dad didn't teach me to lie. My mom didn't teach me to lie. I taught myself to lie. Nobody taught me to steal. I can remember my son was asking me, what are some of the things you did? What are some of the sins you did when you were a kid? And I said, well, I remember once I I took something from a store that did not belong to me. (gasps) You stole? I said, yes, I did. Grammy made me go back to the store, and Grammy made me give it back, and it was very embarrassing. And I'm glad I didn't get any kind of punishment from that. I was just a little kid, but I knew what I was doing was wrong. That's why I was hiding in the back seat. What do you got there, DJ? Nothing. Where'd you get that? In the store. So you had to take it back. Nobody taught me that. We're all born sinners, and death is a consequence of sin and the curse that resulted from sin. Now, let me give you a promise Christian, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, I want to show you something else about why God allowed death that maybe you may not have thought about. Romans chapter 6, let's pick it up in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, with him, the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. Now, there's a lot that we don't have time to dive into tonight on that, but let me just say this. For the Christian, sin gives us a release from the curse. Sin gives us a release from the curse. Sin brought death, but death means that God could send the Savior to die for us, to pay for our sin, so that we don't have to be trapped in this Broken flesh forever. Like some kind of vampire 
that never dies, but is just perpetual death and perpetual dying and perpetual thirst and perpetual hiding from the light. Because of death in Christ, because Christ died for us and He lives again and has conquered death, now we can be free from this body so that this body can be resurrected. This body can be transformed. This body can live again. doesn't matter if it's one cell from a, from a piece of ash. Dust to dust is what we are. But God will take that one cell and He will make just as a seed is planted into the ground, he will make new life from the old. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says our bodies are like seeds. We plant them in the ground, and they're coming back out, but they're not coming back out like this. They're coming back out like Christ's body. He's the first fruit, a body that doesn't need blood anymore, that doesn't need anything anymore because it can't be broken or crushed or get sick anymore. And so death gives us a release from the curse if we're in Christ. Death is also, though, an end to our preparation for judgment. It marks the end. We have until we die to prepare for the end. No one in heaven is still preparing for judgment. They've already live their life, their life has already been finished, and that life will be judged if they're in Christ at the Bema Seat. If they're not in Christ, it will be judged either at the end of the tribulation, at the judgment of, seed in the, of the sheep and the goats, or a thousand years after that at the great white throne judgment. We've talked about those three judgments several times, especially when we uh, went through the book of Daniel, and again, when we went through the Olivet Discourse together. I'm not going to repeat all that tonight. But that is why we die as a consequence for sin, as a release from the curse through Christ, and then as, a as an end to the preparation for judgment. So I know that the, I don't know when it's coming. I don't know when death is coming, but I know it's coming if the rapture doesn't come first. And so I should be living as someone who doesn't have all eternity to serve God. I've only got... Maybe 30 more years, maybe three more days, maybe 50 more years. Maybe I, may, maybe I break 100. My grandma prayed she was going to break 100. She didn't make it. Her brother almost did just a few uh, weeks. Uh, he died just a few weeks before he turned 100, Uncle Alan. Maybe I break 100. Maybe I'm the one who does it. But it's coming either way. I better be prepared for it. So here's the, let, me, let me ask another question tonight. I'm calling this the unnoticed question because I think sometimes it's, it's something that we don't stop and ask. And because we don't stop and ask and we assume that we know what we're talking about, I found that a lot of Christians don't really understand what death even is. What is death? Hebrew, the word is muth. In Greek, it is thanatos, which is where uh, thanos got his name, Thanatos. The unnoticed question, what is death? And the short answer to that is separation. Death is separation. That's what death is. Let me talk for just a moment about the uniqueness of man's design. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in chapter 5, Paul reveals a very important truth that is laid out throughout the Scriptures, but is not all put together so clearly and concisely as it is here in chapter 5, verse 23. Paul says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we are tripartite beings. We're not dualistic. We're not just made up of material and immaterial. We are made up of a body and a soul and a spirit which is different from the soul. How do I know that? Well, in other place, we always, uh, on, the, on the basis of two or three witnesses, right? So you need to build a doctrine on more than one verse. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 makes a distinction between the soul and spirit and says that it's the, only the Word of God can really make that distinction in a person's heart and can discern the distinction that is there between your soul, your suke or your psyche in Greek, your, your mind, and your pneuma or your spirit. Now, the most clear explanation I ever heard of this was from uh, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers who said that your body is what connects you to the world beneath you, your soul is what connects you to the world around you, and your spirit is what connects you to the world above you. So because we are three parts, death can come to us in three ways. Death can come to us in three ways. So for the body, we can experience physical death. Physical death is inevitable because we're all mortal. But what is physical death? It's separation from the body. It's when the spirit is separated from the body. That's when we die. Now, there's another form of death that I didn't put up here, and we're going to call this mental death. And that is when your, when your brain, the, the uh, little gray cells, are broken you can experience not physical death, but mental death. And that is when your soul loses the ability to interface with your body through Alzheimer's, through dementia. And so you can have a mental death, a soul death while you are still alive. The Bible doesn't directly address that, or if it does, I, I'm not uh, uh, recalling those passages at the moment. I, I, I can't recall any of those passages uh, at the moment. But we can have physical death. The Bible talks about that. That's separation of your spirit from your body. Mental death is separation of your soul from your body. And then spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. Because where does the spirit come from? God spoke light. God spoke the stars. God spoke the trees. God spoke all of the animals. But Adam, he got down and with his own hands, he made him out of the dust of the ground. And then he breathed life into him. And we are not like the animals. Animals have animal souls, but they don't have a spirit we have a 
spirit that enables us to be connected to, with God, but because of sin, physical death became inevitable for Adam and Eve and for us, but spiritual death became immediate, immediate separation from God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we are all of us born dead in our trespasses and sins. That's how we come into this world, spiritually stillborn. I'm not trying to be graphic. I'm telling you what Paul says. That's how we come into this world, separated from God, and we need a Savior. Paul says you were born without hope, Ephesians 2, but Jesus came to give you hope. Jesus came to die, and he lives again so that you can not only have physical life forever, but you can have spiritual life immediately by his Spirit who quickens your spirit the moment you admit you're a sinner who needs a Savior and you trust in the one and only Savior that God has provided. But the third type of death that I have in your notes is what Revelation 2014 calls the second death. That's an irreversible death. Amen. That is permanent separation from God. I have many loved ones. You have many loved ones. Some who have just passed away recently who are now with the Lord. They have physically died, but they only died once. Death will never, never touch them again. In fact, as Jesus said in John 8, 51, they didn't even look at death. They didn't even see death because for the Christian, when you leave your body, you become more alive than you ever were in the body. Amen. You experience not death, but life. C.S. Lewis, again, not a perfect theologian. He made the mistake of saying, you're not a body, you're a soul that has a body. Incorrect. You are a body and a soul, and a spirit. It's not one or the other. You're all three. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not our, your own. You were bought at a price. Wherefore, glorify God with your body. Your body is who you are. You're connected to your body. Now, don't despair of that if you wish you had a better one because you've got one coming. Because when the body gets planted and it gets resurrected or Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, 1 Corinthians 15, we will be given a glorified body, and so we will have none of the failings and none of the frailty, but we will preserve this body. We'll live again. Every time I stand in front of a casket with a Christian body inside of it, I remind myself that this casket will someday be empty because this body will live again. That's why Jesus literally walked out of the tomb. He is the first fruit of our resurrection. If, if we just get new bodies and this one stays and rots, then we're in trouble because God made us as a body. We are physical beings. Our loved ones, when they come back with the Lord in the air, they're going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Their bodies are going to be resurrected. I remember that old painting. I love that painting of Jesus in the clouds and all the 
tombs being emptied and the cars crashing because Christian drivers are going up in the air and some people think, oh, that's just nonsense, that's just superstition. No, that is an artistic representation of what will happen. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe September. When it happens, I'll be there. Will you be there? Will you be going up? Because if we die without Christ, then we will not only die once, we will die the second death as well. And that death is irreversible. Now, what we're going to begin to answer tonight and what we'll continue, Lord willing, to answer next week is the ultimate question, and that is what will happen when I die, right? What's going to happen when I die? We have lots of questions about that. The Bible doesn't give us as much information as we would like. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not even allowed to tell you what is waiting. It's so glorious. We only have a little snippets and glimpses and snapshots, little sound bites of what heaven is going to be like in the scriptures. Paul said, I saw things I'm not even allowed to tell you. They're so glorious. Paul doesn't want us all jumping off the cliff so we can get to heaven faster. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. God wants you to work until he calls you home. But heaven is a glorious place. Sometimes I wonder why as Christians, when we get into those 80s and 90s and we have those terminal issues, why we fight so hard to cling to what we don't need to cling to. And I'm not in any hurry to leave my wife or my son. But there's a day coming. If, if I live long enough and I were to get some terminal disease and I, I don't want to be, I told Gigi, don't, I, I don't want to go through all of that. I don't want to be just to have another six months of, of torment. I know what's waiting for me on the other side. So why do we fight so hard? Dylan Thomas said, do not go gentle into that good night, rage against the dying of the light. But for the Christian, the light isn't dying when we die. It's coming on. C.S. Lewis said, this is the Shadowlands. That's one thing he got right. That's one thing he got right. We live in the Shadowlands. We think of death as the Shadowlands, right? Because in the movies, the, the ghosts and stuff, that's the Shadowlands. No, no, no. This is the Shadowlands. That is the reality. So let me give you some false views. I'm just going to touch on these very quickly. Some false views of what happened when I die, that tragically some people who profess the name of Christ hold to some of these the first one is universalism. That means everybody goes to heaven. No, no. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus went on to say, he that believes is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I, heard, I had someone tell me they don't believe um, in um, uh, hell. They said, well, uh, God wouldn't send anybody to hell when they die because they haven't been judged yet. Incorrect. Jesus said, you're already condemned. You're already condemned if you've rejected, if you are old enough to know and you say no. Now, if you're not old enough to know, if you're a child, if you're someone who uh, is uh, so mentally handicapped that you cannot understand the basics of the gospel, how do we know that those people are in heaven? How do we know that a child who, is, uh, who dies in the womb and who is stillborn or a child who dies at, at one or two, how do we know that they're in heaven? Because the sin debt is paid for. Jesus paid for the sin debt. Their sin has been removed. 
he that believeth not is condemned already because he or she has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, when he paid, 1 John 2, 2, he paid for the sin debt of all mankind. That does not mean that everybody goes to heaven, but it does mean everybody has an opportunity to go to heaven when they are old enough to understand, when they are capable of understanding the gospel, if they will receive the gospel, they are forgiven. If they will reject the gospel, Jesus said, he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten God, Son of God. Universalism we reject. The Bible rejects it. Annihilation of all or some who die. That is, you know, the atheist says we all just die and we just cease to be. But some Christians say, well, God, he would never send people to hell, so he just snuffs them out of existence. I remember this, this same gentleman who I was talking with years ago doesn't believe in hell, but he believes in judgment, but then he believes in annihilationism. So I said, you believe that all that's going to happen is, is, is just an end? Yes. So you believe that people, when they die, they don't go to hell. They're just basically asleep until God raises them up and then he ends their existence. Yes. So why does he raise them again? If, if dead is dead, and which is what you're saying, nobody's conscious when they die, and then God resurrects them to say, oh, I'm going to kill you again, and it's going to be the same thing as you just, why, why wake them up? It doesn't make any sense, and it's not what the scriptures teach. The Bible does not teach annihilationism. The Bible teaches eternal fellowship with God for those in Christ and eternal judgment and separation in outer darkness where there is weeping, gnashing of teeth for those who don't know Christ. Number three is spiritism, this idea that we turn into ghosts. Luke 16 uh, the story of rich man and Lazarus dismantles that view. Number four, reincarnation. We're reborn. We have a second life. You know, Hebrews 9.27, we've already seen it. It's appointed unto man once to die. You get one chance. You get one life. You ain't coming back for another go. You're not coming back to try to get a better life. Number five, time travel and soul sleep, really five and six. I put those two together, which is this idea, again, that you die and then you just wake up at judgment and, and there's no separation of the body um, and the soul. The soul is asleep where we skip ahead to judgment. Jude chapter, uh, Jude chapter one, only one chapter, verse seven, says, we read it this morning, but we, I didn't highlight it this morning. In the Greek, it says that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah are, are, present tense, suffering the fire of eternal judgment. Jude said, hundreds of years, over a thousand years after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire and brimstone, that those people are still burning. That's what Jude says. They are still experiencing the wrath of God on their lives. It's a very serious thing. We don't skip ahead or sleep. Let me give you one more. Angelification. We become angels. I don't want to embarrass anybody if, if you have said this. I, I don't want to disrespect anybody, but I'm not, I'm not here to uh, nerf ball either, okay? I'm not here to toss you a nerf. I've heard people just recently at a funeral, somebody got up and talked about so-and-so who, who is now an angel in heaven. No, they're not. Amen. We don't turn into angels. 
Angels are incredible beings, entities that were there when, as Job says, God, the, God himself says it in the book of Job, that the sons of God, the angels, were there when I laid the foundation of the world. God directly created each angel. They are ministering spirits. Hebrews 1.14, we don't become angels. We will someday judge the angels. Today we are created a little lower the angels, but we don't become angels. So we're not going to take the time tonight to go into all of the post-death activity of Jesus. We talked about that this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, he led captivity captive. Um, He told the thief on the cross, uh, I'll be with you in paradise. Well, I I guess I will go through those, but um, there are some other uh, references that that I wanted to look at tonight. Uh, We're not going to take the time to look at all that the Bible says about uh, post-death activity, but... Let me end with this tonight. Because God is spirit and we're created in God's image, His spirit as believers gives birth to new life to our spirits. And so because of His spirit, our spirit has form and function beyond death. So if we know Christ, we'll be with Him forever. And again, as Jesus promised in John chapter 8, we will look right past death. We won't even see it. We won't experience death when our bodies falter and fail and we step into the very presence of God. That's not death. You see Jesus face to face, that's not death. That's life. Our friends, our loved ones, our family members are more alive today in heaven than they ever were here in the shadow lands. That's the hope that we have. And Lord willing, we'll look more next week at the truth of what the Bible says about death. I'm going to go now to Lord in prayer, and he's going to come. I just want to give you a time of invitation after I pray. I don't know if you have a need. Or, um, we have a, a few of our deacons are here are available to pray with you if you have a need. I just want to give you some time with the Lord. So I'm going to pray as Andy comes, and then I'm just going to give you a few moments right where you're sitting uh, to Spend some time talking to God. And again, if you have a need, the altar is open. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have because your son is not only the way, not only the truth, but he is the life. And when we're in Christ, we have life forever. We have eternal life even today. These things are written. Your word says that we may know that we have eternal life. And because of that, God, we will never really experience death. When we leave these bodies, God, we'll look right past it into your presence, into your face. And so, God, we give you praise and honor and glory for that. Father, I pray that this is an encouragement to those of us who have lost loved ones in this past season of our lives. But, God, I also pray that this is, is a challenge and a reminder of the necessity that we grow as your disciples and that we grow in our mission to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. And so, Father, now as we spend just some time uh, individually in prayer, I ask that your spirit's moving. God, show us if there's something that we need to do um, between us and you tonight, if there's uh, a, a promise we need to claim or a sin we need to abandon. God, whatever it is. And Father, if there is somebody here tonight or somebody listening tonight, I pray that this reminder of their mortality will be a reminder and a provoking that they are a sinner who needs a Savior. 
and that they would tonight, this very night, place their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for their sin, who rose again, who is offering them forgiveness and eternal life. But we must call upon him. We must place our faith in him. We must make that decision of faith to trust in you. God, may that be the night for that person listening tonight. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And we give you praise and glory for the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Uh, you're dismissed. Uh, remember, we are uh, praying and fasting on Wednesday night into Thursday night for our youth pastor search. Hope that you're able to be part of that. Uh, again, you are dismissed. God bless you. Hey, I can't make it to that meeting on the about the thing in September, oh, but okay. just to, I, I, I still want to be included with this sponsor. I like to, if they have a van, I'd like to send them. Okay. And if the answer is no, then no problem. Okay. I haven't been able to make any of the meetings uh, recently, but... That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.